Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're here to serve you in any way that we can. For more information about our resources or our church, you can check out hope at crossroads.org. Online, you can find access to other resources like devotionals and study books. Thanks again for joining us. And now let's start this week's message. Amen. Amen. A battleship was uh, participating in a military exercise. Uh, It was very bad weather, and the captain was on the bridge of the ship. It was foggy, and uh, just after dark, the lookout spotted uh, on the starboard side a big light. And as he spotted this light, the captain asked, His team, hey, is that light steady or is it moving? And the lookout replied and said the light was steady, meaning that they were on direct collision uh, with this other ship. And so the captain began to order the lookout signal to the other ship. He said, change courses 20 degrees. We're on a collision course. We're on a collision course. And the message came back, it's advisable for you to change course. So the captain thought, okay, I'm going to try this again. So he signaled to the, the other ship, I am the captain, change your course 20 degrees. And the signal came back, the reply, I am a seaman, second class, change your course 20 degrees. And the captain was furious. So he responded back, I am a battleship, change course. And back came the signal, I am the lighthouse, your call. (laughs) Uh, The message today, church, is not one that I want to share with you. Because I believe we need to hear it. And I'll just tell you what the message is at the very beginning. The message is about pride. Pride is a destructive Force. Pride says, I'm okay, I don't need anybody else. Pride puts my agenda before somebody else's agenda. It's interesting, someone rightly said, every sin that you and I commit in our lives starts with pride. And pride is in our culture, it's in our country, it's in our world, it's in our community, it's in the church, it's in our church. It's even in the life of your pastor sometimes. Surprise. It's a powerful force, this issue of pride that can lead us astray. So I want to pray for us this morning, and uh, not only as I pray, pray for us, but I also want to make sure that you're aware of our friends in Chesney, South Carolina, three young people lost their lives Friday afternoon. Their family's weekend is totally different maybe than yours. It's radically altered by the events of Friday afternoon, a tragic car accident, uh, the uh, ball game that their high school planned to pe- play on Friday, they canceled because of this devastating news, and uh, we want to lift up those families this morning as we start our service, so would you pray with me, Lord, thank you that even in the horrible times of life, as we just sung about, you are good. It's hard sometimes to say that and to even sing it. When we have difficulties in our own life, but it doesn't make it any less true. The God of the universe is good. And so we pray for these families this morning who are facing just incredible trauma and tragedy. Would you, 
Holy Spirit, wrap your wonderful love around those families. Give them peace today. Give them comfort. We pray for the leaders, the teachers, the coaches at the high school, God, that you would give them incredible, supernatural, God-given, Holy Spirit-breathed wisdom to help these students navigate through seeing three of their friends instantly in a moment taken out of this world. Lord, be with them. Be with their families. Be with us as we worship today and as we look at your word. I pray that you would speak to us through it and that you would challenge us this morning in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. If you've got your Bible, if you'll open up to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. We are going to talk about pride this morning. Now, when you think about pride, you might think about team pride. I don't know that's exactly what we're talking about this morning. Of course, after some of the games of yesterday, some of us don't have quite as much pride as we maybe had before yesterday's games. That's another story. Maybe you're thinking about the pride of a parent or a grandparent or a relative when you see children dedicated to the Lord. That kind of pride, that's kind of a, 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 a okay kind of pride. What really is pride? Here it is. Let me give you the definition. It's a deep pleasure or satisfaction that is derived from one's own achievement. The achievements maybe of those whom you're closely associated are from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. We went through, some of you are old enough to remember this, we went through a time in our culture where even parents were, how can we say, uh, challenged, fussed at by society because we didn't build within our kids uh, a right kind of self-esteem. And I don't know if you remember that. It was when I was growing up, actually, probably when I was in my teens or 20s, there was this kind of idea in parenting that, hey, you need, to, you need to encourage your kids and tell them they can be all that they can be, kind of the old military motto, be all that you can be, which actually is contrary to God's Word. The only thing that you can be and actually be happy and satisfied is what God created you to be. We don't realize how these subtle things work their way into our culture. But that pendulum probably swung so far that way that we started to tell uh, my parents perhaps started to tell, and gener- that generation started to tell our kids, man, you're great, you're wonderful, you're awesome. And that evolved into, I'm going to suggest to you in some respects, maybe an improper self-esteem, an unhealthy self-esteem. Because the Bible tells us, and Paul tells us this in several of his letters about to think of yourselves rightly, which means not to think of yourselves less than you should, but also not to th- think of yourselves more than you should. It's, it's a balancing act, really. And we're going to find out from King Nebi, King Nebuchadnezzar, who all through the book of Daniel so far we've seen it's a roller coaster ride. One day he's giving praise and honor to Daniel's king, Daniel's God, and saying he's the Lord of lords, the King of kings. And the next second he's totally forgotten what he said. And this is, this is one of those seconds where he forgets totally what he said. It's interesting because he starts it out this way, Daniel chapter 4, let's just read it. Nebuchadnezzar the king... To all the people's nations and men of every language that live in all the earth, may your peace abound. It has seemed good to me to declare the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, How great are His signs, how mighty are His wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and His dominion is from generation to generation. He's giving praise to God. Pretty, pretty awesome way to start the chapter. 
And by the way, that is why we gather every Sunday for worship. I know it, maybe we can come for a plethora of different reasons to see friends, to be encouraged, to be in your small group, to love on each other, to pray for each other. All those things are great, and that's a part of it. But the main reason we come is actually what he said right here, to give praise and honor and glory to God. That's why we gather together, or should, should be. And so he starts out pretty profound. I mean, if we, ended, if we ended the story right there, we'd be going, wow, congratulations, Nebuchadnezzar. You're finally giving praise and honor to God the way that you should. But then the story changes. And he gets to the next verse where he says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and I was flourishing in my palace. I saw a dream and it made me fearful. And these fantasies as I lay on my bed and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. So I gave orders to bring into my presence all the wise men of Babylon, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the conjurers, the Chaldeans, the diviners came in, and I related to the dream to them, but they could not make its interpretation known to me. Let me just stop right there. Have we heard this story before? Wait a minute, am I watching a rerun? Yeah, I am. I'm watching a rerun here. We've already been through this before, and he called out to all the wise men, all the conjurers, magicians, sorcerers, tarot card readers, astrologers, all those people. They came in. They couldn't interpret his dream. They couldn't tell him the dream, couldn't interpret the dream. So he called in Daniel. Before we poke fun, how often do we do the same thing? Here's the first point. Pride makes you do and say stupid things. I mean, he knew who could do the interpretation. But instead of going to the one that he knew, he already had proof in the pudding, already had evidence that Daniel could do that, he went back to his old ways. Why did he go back to his old ways? I'm so glad you asked that question. Let me give you what my thought might be. It goes back to verse 4. Here's perhaps why some people think he went back to his old ways. Because in verse 4, he was at ease in his house and flourishing in his palace. Life was good. Everything was great. I don't need God anymore. How often that is the case for us. When life is great and everything is good. God who? Church what? Sunday worship what? We don't need all that. But it's amazing when something happens in our life that rocks our world, how quickly we will run to the church. I think about 9-11. Many of you remember that. Churches were fairly empty, mediocre attendance. And then 9-11 happened, and the next Sunday it was standing room only. You could have sold $100 tickets, and people would have paid it to get into the church because they thought the end of the world was coming. By the way, the end of the world is coming Friday, 11 o'clock. I hope you're ready. Just kidding, just kidding. Anybody who says they know is false prophet. Nobody knows when the, the end times are coming. Nobody knows when Jesus is returning. So if you hear somebody say they know, run in the other direction because they don't have a clue. They don't know. But it's interesting, now that Nebuchadnezzar is living this life of ease at this particular time, and he is flourishing, he forgot Daniel. He forgot Daniel's God. He forgot Daniel's king. As a matter of fact, if you remember, when they got pulled out of his three friends got pulled out of the fiery furnace, the last chapter, he, he actually said to people, anybody who does not worship the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm going to slaughter them. I'm going to tear them limb for limb. That's how committed he was to God at that point. But now things have changed. Maybe he was distracted. 
Maybe he has surrounded himself, he's getting ready to surround himself in those verses 5 through 7 where he brings everyone around to interpret the dream. Maybe he surrounded himself with people who can't actually help him. Church, we are in a culture where people are surrounding themselves with people who maybe look like they can help, maybe act like they can help, but have no true answers to life's problems. Have you noticed? Or is this just me? People are flocking all kinds of places to find the answers, but they've yet perhaps to turn to the answer of Jesus Christ. Maybe he was afraid of having someone smarter around him. Maybe he thought, well, Daniel kind of figured this out last time. Now he's going to come back. I'm not sure I want that. Maybe he was afraid of feeling stupid instead of wanting to learn. By the way, that's the definition of pride. I know everything. What do I need to ask your, your opinion? Why do I need your question? Why do I need somebody else's thought, somebody else's experience, somebody else's interpretation? Because I have it all within me. Basically, what you're saying, if you say it, is you are God. Be careful. It's obvious he hasn't learned from his past mistake. And so, Daniel, it says in verse 8, finally, Daniel comes in. Now, we don't know what happened. Kind of did a fast fast forward there. We don't know what, what happened between him calling in everybody. Obviously, they couldn't interpret his dream or tell him anything about it. Because then Daniel has to come into the picture. Maybe he realizes, oh yeah. We're going to find out next week in the very next chapter. That's exactly what happens. He forgets again. And... The queen has to remind him, hey, there's this guy in the land named Daniel. You remember, you already had to ask his help twice. Hello, hello, have you forgotten? So Daniel comes in, verse 8, whose name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God. Keep in mind, this is Nebuchadnezzar talking here. In whom is a spirit of the holy gods. Now he's gone back. Oh, he has a spirit of the holy gods. He, he's not worshiping the one true God. He has a spirit of the holy gods. And I related the dream saying, O Belshazzar, chief of the magicians, since I know you have a spirit of the holy gods in you and no mystery baffles you, tell me the vision of my dream which I have seen along with the interpretation. And so, he explains this dream. I'll read it quickly, if you can hang with me, because it's important. He explains this dream as he's laying in the bed. Verse 11, he tells Daniel the dream. Here it is. This tree is in my dream. It grew large. It became strong. Its height reached the sky. It was visible to the end of the whole earth. The foliage was beautiful. Sounds like fall in the North Carolina mountains. And its fruit abundant. And it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. And the birds of the sea, excuse me, the birds of the sky. There are birds in the sea too, maybe. The birds of the sky dwell in its branches. And all living creatures fed themselves from it. I was looking at the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed. And then behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He shouted out and spoke as follows, Chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beast flee from under it and the birds from its branches. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven and let him share with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is a command of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestow, bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. This is the dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now 
Belshazzar, tell me its interpretation inasmuch as none of the wise men of my kingdom are able to make it known to me, but you are able for a spirit, there it is again, a spirit of the holy gods is in you. So did you catch the dream? I'll just give you a quick summary. He has this dream of this huge tree that's awesome and beautiful and fantastic. And all of a sudden this angel comes down from heaven and says, chop that tree down. And the tree gets chopped down and there's nothing left but a stump and that's the end of it. And so he looks at Daniel and says, can you, can you interpret this dream for me? Now, we don't know why Daniel didn't go at first. Perhaps it's because, again, the king reached out to his old confidants. Maybe, again, the king didn't want to hear what he thought Daniel may say. It's interesting when you think about it. Piece all this together. I want to, I want to encourage you, as you read God's Word, there's, there's the, whole book of, uh, the whole book, the Bible from front to back, is a whole story. You can pull anything out of there and get the Bible to say anything that you want it to say. So you need to keep in mind the context of what's happening here and the history of what's already happened with Daniel and the king. Keep in mind, can you imagine what... The king has already seen previously in Daniel and the three Hebrew young guys who came out of the fiery furnace. That just happened. That just happened. And yet he's not going to Daniel first. You know what that tells me? These three young guys in Daniel were were obviously enough to impress the king, but they were not enough to convert the king. Being impressed with God is not the same thing as being changed by God. Do you hear me this morning? There's a lot of people who are impressed with God. He's awesome. He did, if you want to believe it, which I believe it because the Bible says I believe the Bible, it's true. Uh, He's the creator. He did this. He did this. He can work out miracles, blah, blah, blah. We, we, We are impressed. But we don't allow sometimes that impression to actually change us right here. That's kind of where King Nebuchadnezzar was. So he calls him in. He has this dream. And Daniel is getting ready to give him the interpretation. Which brings me to the second point you're going to see. Pride deafens us to the truth. You guys know by now I'll write down questions as I study. And just, just so you're aware, there's many Sundays that I go home and I feel like the big finger from God is doing this. So don't feel like I'm doing this to you this morning. Because most of the time when I go home after Sunday, God goes, how about, how about you, big boy? That was easy for you to tell everybody else, but how about you? And such is true of the scripture right here. How many times does my pride deafen me to the truth? How many times has pride deafened you to the truth? God's trying to tell you something. Maybe it's an older, wiser person trying to tell you something. Maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a mentor. Maybe it's a coach. Maybe it's a teacher. Maybe it's a boss and they try to tell you something. And you don't listen. I've told you this story before. I don't know why it comes to my mind again. I guess because it's so seared in my memory of the day that my bicycle chain broke on my bike and my dad had gone off to work and he told me, don't get on that bike. I've got the chain back on there for now, but it needs to be tightened up. If you get on it, it's going to break. He was telling me the truth. Telling me the truth. Did I listen? No, I did not listen. Of course I didn't listen because I'm stupid. 
And I got on that bike. Some of you heard this story, and I'm wheeling down. And he, he didn't actually go to work. He just drove off in the direction like he was going to go to work because he knew me. And a few blocks down the road, he turned around. Here I am pedaling down the road. Chain breaks. I go sliding down the road. Crash, roll over, boom, boom, boom. And then I, here I am pushing the bike, and I see his car come down the road. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble. I was probably 11 years old. And here I am running with a bicycle. And he pulls up beside me. Window goes down. What you doing, son? I'm taking my bike out for a walk, Dad. <laughs> Pride deafens us to the truth. Some of us can't hear from God about a certain situation in our life because, church, I love you, hear me. I'm saying this because this is true of me. Because there's pride in our life and it's like this obstacle, it's like this barrier. We keep praying, asking God for stuff and it's like he's not answering, he's not answering, where is he? He's not answering because you've got pride in your life. Pride will deafen us to the truth. You can't hear it. Some of us have got a level of pride such that, did I say I love you? I love you. I do. We've got such a level of pride in our life that it actually has so affected our relationship with Jesus. And maybe we don't even have a relationship with Jesus because of this big barrier, this big huge boulder of pride in our life. Maybe it's wanting to know all the answers to life's issues before we put our faith in Jesus. Maybe it's like, God, I don't believe all this, and there's this pride of unbelief in our life, and you're, you're wanting it to change. Can I just tell you from personal experience, it won't change. At least it didn't change for me until I finally laid down my pride and said, God, I don't have it all figured out. I don't know all the answers, but I've tried everything else, and I'm going to fully trust you totally 100%. Let me ask you a question. Is that you this morning? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Let's pray. In the honesty of your heart this morning, we're not finished, but in the honesty of your heart this morning, can you just in this moment say, if, if you're willing, this takes a bold person, but if you're willing, would you just say, Lord, remove the pride in my life. Remove the pride. Maybe there's someone in this room this morning who would just say, Jesus, I need you. And if that's what's preventing me from seeing clearly, I'm going to be bold enough and courageous enough to ask you right now to take it away. And if that's you, I just encourage you to pray that prayer. See what God does. If God doesn't do anything, hey, no skin off your back. But maybe God would do something. Maybe God would be powerful enough to do something. Or would you have your way in the remainder of the service? Christ's name. Amen. Verse 19, so Daniel, he goes in. He's appalled, which some translations say scared, terrified, fearful. Let me give you the new Jack Eason translation. means he's shaking in his boots because he knows if he goes in and he tells the king the interpretation of this dream, He's not sure of the reaction. Now, he's bold enough, courageous enough, and we already know he's proven himself to be obedient when God tells him to do something that I don't think he's not going to do it. And we'll find out that he's not not going to do it. He is going to obey. But he's still fearful. 
And the king responds and says, hey, don't let the dream or this interpretation alarm you. And Belshazzar answered, Daniel says, my Lord, if only the dream applied to those who hate you and its interpretation to your adversaries. And he gives him the interpretation. He says, this tree you saw, which was large and grew strong and whose height reached the sky and was visible and whose foliage was abundant and fruit was awesome and it was food for all and the beast of the field dwelt in its shadow and the birds of the sky lodged there. By the way, that tree, it is you, verse 22. It's you, king. It's you. And you have become great and grown strong and your majesty has become great. You've reached the sky and your dominion to the end of the earth. And in that king you saw this angelic watcher this holy one descending from heaven that king was coming down to chop down the tree and he goes through the whole interpretation and basically says this is the interpretation verse 24 this is a decree you're going to be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place to be with the beast of the field and you're going to be given grass to eat like cattle and be drenched with the dew of heaven and seven periods of time will pass over you until you recognize the most high is ruler over all mankind And in that it was commanded to leave the stump with the roots of the tree. Your kingdom will be assured to you after you recognize that it is heaven who rules. Therefore, O king, verse 27, may my advice be pleasing to you. Break away now from your sin by doing righteousness and from your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. In case there may be a prolonging of your prosperity. Oh my gosh, can you imagine? King, here's your dream. Here's what it means. The tree you saw that was beautiful and had foliage and the birds were landing in it and they had protection and people were shaded by it and all of that and then it got chopped down and it was destroyed and nothing was left with the stump. That's you. How would you like to deliver that news? <laughs> wow. That's you, King. Good. The good news is, that was the bad news, but the good news is Daniel actually gives him some advice. Verse 27, he gives him some advice. May my advice be pleasing to you. Break away from your sins by doing righteousness. Fill your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor in case there might be a prolonging of your prosperity. Here's number three about pride. Pride ignores wise counsel from God's word. Pride ignores wise counsel from God's word. I wrote this question down for me. I'll ask it to you. How often do I ignore the counsel of God's word? How often do you ignore the counsel of God's word? Part of the time, the reason that we ignore the counsel of God's word is because we don't know God's word. And ignorance is no excuse. As I said to the officer when I was a teenager and I got pulled over doing 75 and a 55. Officer, I did not know that the speed limit was not 75. Of course, I did. And the officer kindly said to me, ignorance is no excuse. What counsel from God's word are we ignoring? Church, there is a a world of people, and maybe there's some of those people in this room who don't have a personal relationship with Jesus and one of the reasons they may give us an excuse, I would say it's probably not the greatest excuse, but it's, it's legit, is they see some of us who say we're believers and we live in such a way that we ignore the counsel of God's word. God says don't be unequally yoked. 
Yet we do that. In our culture, you have Christians marrying non-Christians, and you have people yoking together. And the reason God's Word tells us that is because God knew it would be a very difficult road for us when we don't listen to Him. God says, cast our every care on Him so that we don't worry. But what do we do in our culture? Even as believers, we worry, 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 worry. God says, give and it shall be given unto you, pressed down and shaken together. But what do we do? When the economy's tight, we hold on to our wallets and we don't let anybody in, not even the Holy Spirit. We ignore the counsel of God's word. That's what pride does. If you want to show a prideful person, show me someone who is ignoring the counsel of God's word and I will show you a prideful person. And yes, I have been that person and I probably will be unfortunately that person again. And you have every right as a brother and sister in Christ in love to call me out if you see it. And guess what? If I'm being the kind of pastor I should be, I have every right to call you out when I see it in your life. Unfortunately, that's not very popular in North American Christianity. In most churches, that will get you what's called a pink slip. And they will say, move along. We don't need that anymore. Like I said, while I'm talking to you this morning, the Lord's doing this to me. So he gives him this advice. Boy, it would be great if we read the next verse and we read, The king adhered to Daniel's advice quickly, and the Lord relented on his punishment, and King Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom continued to grow and flourish and impact people all over the land. That's not what we read, unfortunately. What we read there is, All this happened to Nebuchadnezzar the king. Verse 28. Verse 29. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of his royal palace of Babylon. And the king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might and power and for the glory of my majesty? And while the word was in his mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it's declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. Here's the fourth thing we find out about pride. Pride always comes before a fall. Always. By the way, it may not be immediate, but it will be eventual. See, if you read those verses, God actually gave Nebuchadnezzar 12 months to repent. He gave him some time. Daniel gave him wise counsel about what to do. Daniel interpreted the dream. (laughs) And yet, Nebuchadnezzar just kind of decided, I'm assuming, "Eh, I'm just going to kind of just do my thing. We'll see if God is going to, you know, if Daniel's right and God's going to do what the dream interpretation really is, if that's really going to happen or not. Isn't God good? God gave him 12 months to get things right. Maybe you're here this morning and this is your last shot. Can I just be honest? I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. I have no idea. Neither did the three families who lost teenagers this past weekend on Friday afternoon at 335. They had no idea. Pride says, I've got tomorrow and next week and next month and next year to get right with God. That's what pride says. The scripture says, today's the day of salvation, now's the day of salvation. 
So God gave Nebuchadnezzar, in his grace and mercy, he gave him 12 months to respond. And he didn't. He starts out on the roof of his royal palace boasting, and then all of a sudden the Lord says, sovereignty is going to be removed from you. And then this voice from heaven continued, verse 32, says, You are going to be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling place will be like the beasts of the field. You're going to be given grass to eat like cattle. And seven periods of time are going to pass over you till you recognize the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from mankind. He began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven. And to his hair had grown like eagle's feathers. Man, he needed to shave. He needed to man up. And his nails like bird's paws. He needed to go see a manicurist or somebody. I mean, he's looking rough. He's looking rough. And if you wonder what in the world is that about, let me give you number five. Pride will make you act like a donkey's Patoot, that's not the Greek word, by the way. The Greek word's a little more in your face, and I thought I better, you, you know, just you fill in the blank right there. Fill in the blank right there. Three letters, first word starts with an A. You say, what in the world, is that real? Is that just fiction? Did that really happen? Actually, if you go back and you study your medical history, you'll find out, as I had to do, because I ask these questions. Maybe you don't ask these kind of questions when you read Scripture. I do. I want to know, okay, wow, is this really legit? In 1946 is the most recent account. A Dr. Raymond Harrison in Britain had a patient suffering from what's described right here in this text. The disease is called boanthropy. Where basically the person goes, has a psychotic breakdown, mentally they snap, they go nuts, they have a mental breakdown. And they start acting like they're an animal. On all fours, running around, eating grass like cow, everything the scripture says right there. Just as Daniel told him it would happen. And some people might want to dismiss this account, but again, if you're, if you're a history buff, I know there's some history buffs in the room, do your research, go online, find out, do some history. You'll find out from the period of 582 B.C. to 575 B.C., that's seven years, the silence is deafening. There's hardly any historical data about King Nebuchadnezzar and anything happening in his kingdom. Which is very interesting when Near Eastern leaders like to tout their achievements as big egotistical guys that they were back then and be really loud about their achievements and really quiet about the things that they did not do well. And we have seven years of history where it's very quiet. Why? Probably because Nebuchadnezzar was out in the fields acting like a donkey's patoot. Which tells me this, number six. Pride will detour God's plan for your life. How long was he like that? Well, the Bible tells us. Daniel told us. The interpretation said seven years. Seven periods of time. 30, verse 32. He's out there for seven years acting like a donkey's patoot. That's what pride does. Pride will detour God's plan for your life. We can think about the Old Testament. We can think about those people in the wilderness. If you go out here in front of the church, and if you go down Roper Mountain and Bennett's Bridge and Woodruff Road over the last few weeks, 
the wonderful South Carolina tree, the orange construction barrel. It's so beautifully placed all around these roads. And if you've been around here the last several weeks, you'll see wonderful men standing with signs that say stop or slow, and they will reroute you and they will move you around. And you may see, as I have done many times, there's the church. There's the steeple. Open the door. There's the church. I'm like, I can get there, but uh, no, I can't. No, I can't. Because they got traffic backed up, or no, you got to go around this way and do this kind of stuff. That's a great visual. When you ride around in Greenville County on this side of town, let that be a great visual to remind you pride will always, 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 always detour your life. God may have you ready to go from here to here. And you're wondering, all of a sudden, something happens and you're wondering, why is this taking so long, God, to get to where I thought you wanted me to go? Perhaps, not all the time, but perhaps it's because you and I have let something come into our life that there's pride there. And sometimes the detour that God takes us on is not because he doesn't know the way. He knows the way. Sometimes the detour he takes us on is to teach us what we need to know. And to get rid of something that's in our life. So when we get to that next place that he has for us, we'll be ready and prepared. So what happens? At the end of that period, verse 34, we'll wrap up and we're almost done. Nebuchadnezzar raised his eyes toward heaven. Boy, I would do more than that if I was running around for seven years acting like a donkey's patoot. If seven years ended and I... I'd be like, hallelujah, God, what happened? Thank you for delivering me. His reason returned to me. God gave him his sanity back, and he began to bless the Most High and praise and honored him who lives forever. He said, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven among the inhabitants of earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what is thou done. And at that time, verse 36, his reason returned. So let me give you three things he did to bring about a solution. The first one is he remembered. It's found in verse 34. His reason returned to him. He remembered. Verse 36 says it again. His reason returned to him. He remembered. He also repented. He remembered, he repented, then his sanity was restored. Verse 36, his majesty and splendor, my majesty and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom and my counselors and nobles began seeking me out. So I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven for all his works are true and his ways just, just as he is able to humble those Who walk in pride. Let me ask this question as we wrap up this morning. James says it this way. The book of James chapter 4 verse 6. God opposes the proud. But gives grace to the humble. Now for you sports fans in here. Let's just just pick out one of those words in that scripture. Opposed. Comes from the word opponent. And basically what God is saying and what Nebuchadnezzar is saying, if you have pride in your life, pride pride in your heart, 
you're an opponent against God. It's a pretty drastic analogy when you think about it. Because he finishes this chapter by saying, God is able, he is able to humble those who walk in pride. If you remember, Moses actually said to Pharaoh, when Pharaoh was being hard-hearted and prideful, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? Some of you remember that. I don't know about you, but here's, here's my conclusion from this story. I would much rather humble myself before the Lord than to have the Lord humble me. Because I'm not sure how He would do it. <laughs> if I was God, I know how I would do it to me sometimes. Boy! Can't believe it. I'm glad God's not like that. Sometimes He is like that to me because He needs to be. So church, let me ask you a question this morning. Is there pride in some area of your life, some area of your heart? See, I'm convinced. I hope, I hope you are. But I, I'm, I'm convinced that what God is doing here in our church uh, is pretty phenomenal. I think he has great things in store for us far beyond what we can imagine or think. But I know according to the Scripture, and not just this passage we looked at this morning, but the entirety of Scripture, one huge boulder that will prevent God from moving is pride. So this morning, I want us to do something visible, because I think we need it. Hopefully you got a handout or an announcement sheet or a bulletin, whatever you call that. At the bottom of that announcement sheet, I purposely asked Kathleen, our administrative assistant, to leave some white space at the bottom. That's not enough space for me. But it might be for you. And this morning, in just a minute, we're going to sing, but it's part of our invitation. And Stephen's going to play for us here in just a moment, so you can... Have some music as you do this. But maybe there's some area of pride in your life. You just want to write that down. And what I'm going to ask you to do this morning. If, if you're led. Is to come throw it in the trash can. Because we need to get rid of it. Doesn't need to be in this church house. Because that will put the brakes on the Holy Spirit. God will just park. Put the thing in park and say. Until you guys deal with it. We're going to sit right here. I've seen it happen. In my own life. I'm just being honest. So how do we get rid of it? We repent, we remember, and we trust God to restore. So maybe there's something in your life. Uh, I have several sheets of paper that would not fit in this trash can. Maybe there's something you just write down and tear that off, crumble it up. Nobody's going to read it at the end of the service. We're going to tie it off. We're going to take it put it in the trash dump. We're going we're to throw away pride this morning. So if that's you, I'm going to pray. I want to give you a few minutes. If you need a pen or you want more paper... Wave at me, I'll get you some more paper. And after you've done business with the Lord, if you have written, maybe you've done it in your heart, you can remain seated if you want. If you want to slip out of your seat and uh, just come throw it away, then you do that. When we're done, 
We'll have our closing, our closing song this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for being patient with me. Because I can be stubborn. <laughs> I can. You know it. Lord, I pray for these friends in this room that I love and that you love. I pray this morning, Lord, we would be honest and do business with you. Please don't allow us to leave this room, go to our small groups, go home, wherever we're traveling after this service, to, to leave and not do business with you. So, Lord, if there's some area of our life or you put your finger on this morning. It could be our relationships, could be finances, could be somewhere we've ignored the counsel of your word. I, I don't know, Lord. You fill in the blank by the power of your Holy Spirit right now for each and every person in this room. Whatever that is, would you help us to be honest before you? And help us to respond as you're leading in our hearts. And have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you just quietly, reverently stand to your feet? And if you need to slip out, this trash can will be waiting. We'll give you some time to do that for those that want to. You can stand with me, and then we'll have a closing song this morning. Who's going to lead the way this morning? Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads. We're so glad that you joined us for the message today. If Pastor Jack or any of our team can serve you, please reach out to us. You can send us an email at jack at hope at crossroads.org or by visiting our website. We would be most grateful to know where you are listening because we have people all over the world listening to our podcast. You can send us a message through our website. We would appreciate your prayers for us as we are in the midst of a building campaign to reach more children and families in our local community in Greenville County, South Carolina. If you would like to help, you can always make your gift online at our website, hope at crossroads.org. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Hope at Crossroads.